Yo, what's up, Ninja Turtle fans? Welcome back to a long overdue, brand new episode of Booyaka Show, a TMNT podcast. I am your host, Zach Norris, and in today's episode of Booyaka Show, we are going to be talking about City at War. If we're talking about City at War, we must be talking about Ninja Turtle comics. That's right, guys. I've wanted to talk about Ninja Turtle comics more often than I've got the chance to on this show. And I wanted to talk about City at War as it was happening issue by issue, but I didn't get the chance to sit down and do that. So what I ended up doing was coming up with a recap episode. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to recap City at War issue by issue, going to break it down, discuss it a little bit, talk about some art, talk about the people involved, the characters involved. And all right, guys, let's talk about City at War. So guys, I have wanted to do a comic book episode for a while now since City at War has been so epic and it's so important for so many reasons. Uh, City at War is an eight-issue arc, which is the biggest we've seen so far in the IDW Ninja Turtle books, to, to my recollection. In this eight-issue arc so far, we've got a huge character reveal, some wild action, crazy ninja action, mafia action, science mutation, just craziness. Ton of action. And not to mention, it's super epic that Ninja Turtles is hitting issue 100. After, I believe it was either 72 or 73 in IDW's Ninja Turtle run, that was the mark, that was beating the mark for the longest run of a Ninja Turtles book. So basically every book after that, like I said, I don't remember exactly if it's 72 or 73, but every book after that point has basically been setting the new standard for Ninja Turtle comics. And so here we are about to hit the giant milestone of issue 100, and we already know it's going to you know, continue, it's going to keep on rolling after 100, but 100 is a big deal to, for any book to hit, 100 is awesome. For an indie title like Ninja Turtles to hit 100 is awesome. For it to have been so well received as a run and done what it's done for the characters and for the brand, the IP, what it's introduced, the ideas it's come up with. Like, I know for a lot of fans, at least maybe casual Ninja Turtle fans or Ninja Turtle movie fans or, you know, television show fans, the comics don't always uh, connect with certain people. It's, it's a testament to the story that this creative team and IDW has given us that it's reached 100 issues and going to go beyond that. So really hyped that we're here, really hyped to be talking about it. We also know that issue 100 is Tom Walt's last work uh, on the main TMNT book for a while. Maybe not his last ever, but his last for a while. He said that. Um, so that makes it pretty special. Tom has given us 100 issues worth, over eight years worth of Ninja Turtles books without missing a beat. As far as I remember, the dude has never missed an issue. One through 100, that's all him. Scripting. You know, he's got some help on the story from Kevin and Bobby. But writing a script, writing the words, explaining the things for the artist to then take and give us visually, that has all been Tom Walt. So props to him. Hats off to him. Can't wait to see what he comes up with next after his break. He deserves some time off after, like I said, eight years of just continuous Ninja Turtles. So all that and more, guys, has made City of War pretty special. 
like I said, this is an eight issue arc. It's going to culminate in issue 100. So this breakdown slash recap that we're going to do here is the seven issues that have happened so far, parts one through seven, issues 93 through 99, with the kind of bonus uh, free comic book day issue that happened earlier this year in 2019, because that does have some City at War stuff that played out in that. I was going to try and do this recap as one episode, but there's so many books to talk about with so much happening that I figured this needs to be broken into parts. And based on the notes for this episode alone, I knew I was going to need more than one podcast. So this episode will be part one, which will cover issues 93, the free comic book day issue, 94, and 95. Wanted to end on 95 because A, it's a pretty perfect halfway point, and also because you guys know what happens in 95. I'm a little late to fully discussing 95 and its repercussions in a comic book sense, but uh, if you're a Ninja Turtles fan, almost even casually, you know what happens in issue 95. Part two of the City at War recaps on Booyaka Show will be issues 96, 97, 98, and 99. So two episodes each covering four books, and then I'll probably do an entire episode based on issue 100. We'll see. That's my loose plan for now. I might bring in a friend to talk about 100, or I might do an episode by myself to break down and discuss 100, and then maybe an episode after that where I have a friend or two in. Probably going to try to get the homie TJ in here to sit down and we can just really talk like City at War start to finish, maybe even just the first 100 books in general. But like I said, loose plan. We'll see how it goes from here. You're going to get at least the two recaps of City at War so far, and then I will have an uh, an episode based on issue 100. And then that is, again, of course, all mixed in with the 2012 show episodes we're going to talk about and the toys we're going to talk about and so on and so forth. So guys, I've got a few names that we need to get out of the way before we begin. This is a different kind of shout out. I want to give a shout out and my appreciation and all the due props to Rhonda Pattison, Sean Lee, and Bobby Curnow. I listed those three names here and now because they're the parts of the creative team that are often overlooked, in my opinion, maybe not in everybody's opinion, since they're not the writer or the artist or because they're not Kevin Eastman. Uh, Rhonda Patterson, excuse me, Rhonda Patterson is the colorist for these issues, and to my knowledge, has been the colorist for every issue of IDW's Ninja Turtles. Correct me if I'm wrong. Never afraid to admit when I'm wrong. Um, but to my knowledge, she has colored everything from start to finish, which to me is a crazy testament to her skill and talent and versatility because she takes art styles from multiple different people and colors them accordingly, and keeps them feeling, you know, lively and fresh and cohesive. Everything is obviously colored different, but it also still keeps it kind of, you know, reeled in, like she's almost the anchor, you know what I mean? The, obviously Tom writes everything, but art-wise, there's been one colorist. Again, that's to my knowledge. I apologize if I'm not 100% accurate there, but I have seen the name Pattison on many a cover. So props to Rhonda. Thank you for all that you've done for us uh, Ninja Turtle comic book fans. Second up, Sean Lee. Sean is the letterer, excuse me, the letterer for TMNT. And again, as far as I know, he's been on the book the entire run, if not most of it. 
So props to him. Again, an maybe overlooked aspect of comic book making is lettering. I'm sure a lot of people just think that these things are like typed in on a machine, which maybe they are. But to my knowledge, a lot of people still draw them in or write them in with their hands. If not, whatever, it doesn't matter. Digitally or the old school way, whatever it takes, it takes effort. It takes skill. It takes talent. So Sean, thanks for providing what you have provided to this book. Uh, again, we appreciate you. And then y'all are probably more familiar with Bobby Curnow's name as he's the editor. He works on the story with Tom and Kevin. He maintains the checks and balances throughout the continuity, not to mention reining Tom and Kevin in when an idea may be too big for the book. So props to Bobby. All respect due to him. And like I said, everybody on this team, from Kevin to Tom to all the various artists, to Sean and Rhonda, Bobby, you have my appreciation. You have my respect. You have my admiration. You have given us what I would argue is one of the greatest iterations of Ninja Turtles that there is. I would put IDW Turtles up there with the 2012 show, with the 1990 movie. It circulates in that tier of Ninja Turtle content to me. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you all so much. Again, wanted to list those names because as we get into the breakdown and discussion, we probably won't be mentioning them as much as we do the artist and the writer. But You guys know what I mean. All right, guys, without further ado, let's do this recap. But last thing before we actually start it, I got to lay out a spoiler warning. In case it's not evident of what I'm going to do here for this episode and the next episode, we're going to be recapping and breaking down eight issues of Ninja Turtles. So if you haven't read these issues and you don't want to be spoiled, You don't want to know what happens until you read it for yourself. Don't listen to this episode. That's your spoiler warning. If you haven't read this stuff, don't listen if you care about spoilers. If you don't care about spoilers, keep on playing, listen to me talk about it, because I'm going to let you know pretty much all there is to know. This isn't going to be a super 100% page-by-page, panel-by-panel, voice-bubble-by-voice bubble breakdown because that would take me six days of writing notes, and then it would take each issue would have its own episode and would be an hour and a half long. So what I did here was I reread the issues, found significant events, found, you know, basically I'm going to give you like the cliff notes versions of each issue, and then we're going to break it down. We're going to discuss it. You know, might call out some certain things with the art and stuff, but basically I'm giving you a recap and a breakdown of the main events of these four issues. Issue 93, the Free Comic Book Day 2019 issue, issue 94, and issue 95. And all right, let's get into it. All right, guys, so issue 93, a.k.a. City at War Part 1, was written by Tom Waltz, and the art is by Dave Wachter. Guys, issue 93 opens with a conversation between Commander Dak and Fugitoid. Uh, Excuse me, Commander Dask and Fugitoid. Zack and Kala, or Kayla, are playing cards behind them when Dask jokes about him and Fugitoid having to do all the work because the young people are too busy playing. Fugitoid counters Dask's joke with this statement, and I'm quoting here. 
We never hesitate to send our children off to wars, so it seems only right that we give them ample time to enjoy the few precious moments that same fighting affords. End quote. Fugitoid then jokes about joining the card game when something abruptly alerts him at his computer. Dask asks, try saying that 17 times fast. Dask asks what he found and Fugitoid simply responds, quote, trouble commander, potential trouble on the horizon, end quote. Now that to me was an interesting and pretty ominous way to start uh, the issue and this arc um, because, I mean, I guess for a couple reasons. One, the arc is called City at War, so obviously things were probably going to get crazy. But then two, it's weird because we haven't seen the neutrinos or fugitoid since this page. So it makes me wonder if the potential trouble that fugitoid found was some trouble we haven't seen yet, which we've now seen issues 93 through 99, and I have not seen fugitoid. Um, But we have seen lots of trouble amongst the turtles and their allies and their enemies. Or if fugitoid was talking about upcoming hardships that the the turtles would have to endure after issue 100. Like is Fugitoid seeing some kind of, is he being alerted to something that's going to happen or that is happening in City at War or that's going to happen after City at War? Does that make sense? Like we haven't seen Fugitoid himself in City at War, so what's this trouble that he's worried about? Is it just the trouble that the turtles are in or is it something else? You know, is that some kind of teaser to what might happen after City at War? Anyways, guys, the next handful of pages bounce around between the different factions as they prepare for the upcoming craziness, basically. The Turtles are maintaining security measures, checking out safe zones. Karai is murdering various gang lords. Splinter and the Foot are attempting to keep tabs on Karai's actions while also protecting the orphan children. April is in the midst of Baxter Stockman's mayoral campaign. All this until Jenica calls for a meeting with the Turtles to inform them that Karai has requested a meeting to call for a truce. After some discussion, the group decides it's worth avoiding the potential war and plan for Jenica to meet with Karai. So as I'm sure most of you are aware by now, the meeting doesn't go well. Karai wants Jenica to cut her ties with Splinter and join her. Jenica refuses and Karai asks Jenny, quote, but would you die for him? To which Jenica responds, quote, in a heartbeat. You turn the page after that response and boom. Splash page of Karai, stabbing Jenica right in her stomach. I mean, City at War, right? First issue. Doesn't done get more warish than that, right? Right out of the gates. Casey freaks out. Alopex and Angel jump in to fight Karai and her goons. The turtles also join in on the scuffle, but just to get Jenny and try to get her to safety. They're not really worried about trying to take anybody out. They just want to get their friend and try to get her some help. The turtles then load Jenny into their van. Casey and Angel hop onto Casey's motorcycle and they gun it for the closest hospital. And that's the end of the issue, guys. To be continued next month in TMNT Free Comic Book Day 2019. And that's where we're going to pick up in this recap, guys. So, Free Comic Book Day. If you guys are not aware, there's one day a year called Free Comic Book Day. Whoa! Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? And on Free Comic Book Day, a bunch of companies put out, you guessed it, free comic books. 
most of the free comic books on free comic book day are reprints or reissues or they're like little anthologies. They're basically like little teasers to try and get you involved or to make you aware of the book and or product that, you know, certain publishers are offering. Well, IDW for the last few years, I believe has flipped that script and they actually make their free comic book day issues important to what's going on in the story. So this issue, Free Comic Book Day 2019 issue, was written by Tom Waltz. Again, the art is by Dave Wachter. And so the Free Comic Book Day issue plays out in two parts. One part continuation slash bridge issue between issues 93 and 94. And the other part is a recap of events from IDW's Turtles run that factor into or kind of foreshadow the city at war. The continuation part resumes where we left off in issue 93 with the turtles racing to get Jenica some medical attention and they're not having an easy go of things. The issue continues pretty much in that vein until the turtles are confronted confronted, excuse me, by Koya and Bludgeon. Koya strikes in from the sky, as she would, and Bludgeon sneaks in from the water, as he would. Donnie and Mikey do their best to get Jenica some help, but the foot are waiting to ambush the van at the closest hospital, so they have to divert. Angel helps to deal with Koya. Raph and Casey get tied up with Bludgeon, and Leo and Alapex tangle with the foot who, aban- who excuse me, who ambushed them at the hospital. So Mikey and Donnie are left to try and get Jenica to a different location. Donnie tells Mikey to go to Harold's lab because the quote others, or excuse me, because quote the others are doing their part to keep Jenica alive. Now I have to find a way to do mine, and that part of the issue ends cliffhanger style. We're basically looking at Donnie and Jenica in the back of a van as Mikey drives it to Harold's lab. The second part of the issue is literally a recap of meaningful events of the entire IDW TMNT run. But interestingly enough, it's broken down by Aka of the Pantheon. Aka or Aka, I'm not exactly sure how you, I'm going to go with Aka, sounds a little bit better. There's a uh, heartwarming but kind of ominous feeling to the breakdown as Akka runs through the Turtles' countless victories and defeats. Uh, The recap is linear, but also touches on side events that will probably play into the coming City at War issues. Akka ends the recap and the issue with this statement, and I quote, War is here, and there might come a point where even I will have to join the fight. Until then, I will watch, and I will hope. At the very most for an auspicious beginning, and the very least for an auspicious end. And for those who were uh, unaware, as I was, auspicious means conducive to success. So for a uh, hopefully successful beginning, and at the very least for a uh, hopefully successful end. And I, like I said, kind of ominous that Akka says she may have to get involved because now, after issue 99, to, to jump ahead a little bit, we've seen certain members of the Pantheon get involved. And you guys probably just based on covers and based on you know just reading the books in general, you probably know there's two members in particular who are usually more involved than others. And they are the members that are involved now. So they're, they're in there mixing it up with certain characters that we know and love. So I would, or I can definitely see Akka, 
you know, jumping in on this and having her say, just going to do a little, little skim through of her breakdown and we'll talk about, you know, her, her breakdown starts with like secret history of the foot stuff. You know, we're looking at Shredder and Splinter fighting. Then it jumps forward to like issue one of Ninja Turtles where, or not issue one, but early on in Ninja Turtles where Raph is reunited with Splinter and his brothers. Then we jump forward to Krang stuff and Baxter Stockman. And then we see Krang get eaten by Leatherhead. We jump forward some more. And we see the Triceraton stuff. We see, you know, Baxter Stockman's fly monster dudes taking on the turtles. I mean, this this recap, it it's basically everything important that has happened in these books. And important in a historical sense to the building of the world and the building of the characters, but then also important in a narrative sense because you get very specific things like Bishop being revealed as like the little like deformed monster person that he is. I feel weird saying it that way. Like the I don't know if you want to call it disabilities or birth defect or whatever, um, but basically Bishop being revealed for what he really is. We've got a page recapping Slash's death, R.I.P. Slash. And then it kind of jumps into uh, Splinter taking out Shredder in issue 50. So maybe it's not, it's not as linear, excuse me, it's not as linear as I thought it was. I thought it literally went from issue one and then followed in, but it, it does jump around a little bit. We get a little glimpse of Karai taking the, the Kira no Ken, the sword of hate in her little side story that happened. And then we get a couple pages touching on the macro series, or excuse me, micro series, you know, individual turtle issues that happened not too long ago. And uh, the last image is Splinter and Karai standing next to each other in front of a bunch of foot ninja. Like I said, ominous, sketchy, does not bode well for our heroes. And on to the next, guys. We are going to talk about issue 94, which is officially City at War Part 2. So the free comic book day issue was basically City at War Part 1.5. 94 is Part 2, and that again was written by Tom Waltz, art by Dave Wachter. And issue 94 kicks off with Bishop and Metalhead utilizing their newfound partnership to track the possible location of the Turtles. They're scouting the turtles' home, excuse me, their usual home slash hideout, and don't find anything except Pepperoni, who they deem harmless. After their search turns up empty, Metalhead decides they should move on to the next logical location of his primary adversaries, who he claims to Bishop his primary adversaries are Donnie and Harold Lilja. Which I'm not sure if that's how you say Harold's last name. L-I-L-J-A. Lilja? Lilja? Not sure. But with them being his primary adversaries, where do you think he's thinking he needs to go? And also, we know from the last issue where Donnie is heading. So... The issue then cuts over to Mikey and Donnie peeling into Harold's lab in a panic. Harold and Libby are confused, but jump right in to help. Raph and Casey arrive only for Donnie to give them orders to go grab Lindsay because Donnie needs her help. They take off just as Leo, Angel, and Alapex are arriving in Harold's lab. Leo then reaches out to Splinter to update him on the situation. Splinter is understandably upset and lets Leo know he's about to go handle some business. We then catch up with Raph and Casey as they go to find Lindsay. 
They hit up the Mutanimals, and Lindsay's down to help, but Hob tells Raph he should stay and help them. Still a little worried about where that's going or what that's going to do. Talk about that here in a second. Afterwards, we find out what Splinter meant about handling business. We find him and some of the foot Xing out a bunch of mob dudes. Pretty uh, ruthlessly. Splinter doesn't like that they switch sides and he lets them know. And then he has them killed. As him and a handful of foot ninja are leaving, Leatherhead sees them, which was an interesting development because we haven't seen him in a while. And again, haven't seen him since. So, another little mysterious pop-in that may, uh, which may or may not have future effects. We'll see. The last few pages of the issue focus on Hob, Raph, and the Mutanimals breaking into Null HQ to do some damage and get some revenge. Turns out Hob has ulterior motives, though. As the crew deals out butt weapons to a bunch of Null goons, Mondo hacks into Null's design and enhancement databases. Raph catches him in the act and questions what's going on. Hob explains, quote, Null was making slaves, and I want to make soldiers. So Hobb is planning to use Null's research to help his own cause, and we'll see a bit of what comes from that in the upcoming issue. So yeah, guys, 94. Again, a bunch of, you know, people linking up, some weird kind of team-ups, some weird, don't want to say, don't want to say weird actions by certain characters because, you know, part of me, Part of me would normally say weird actions because I don't, you don't normally picture Splinter as just going off to kill a bunch of mob dudes just cause. But as the leader of the Foot Clan and, you know, a dude trying to protect his sons and protect the city and get revenge on certain people he feels has hurt him and his family and his right-hand person, a.k.a. Jenica, he's probably a little pissed, and he went and did what he knows how to do best. The, uh, the big thing I got from this issue was Hob and Raph teaming up. And sorry, guys, I feel like I'm, I've been a little under the weather, kind of battling. I, I don't know what it is, honestly. I think just the weather changes got me kind of fighting something, but... um. My voice is trying to give out on me, so forgive me if it gets a little weird here, but Hob and Raph, that is a, a team-up that worries me because, you know, in the Raph mini-issue, we saw him kind of get uh, used and abused, had some people playing around in his head, and, you know, Raph has always been kind of a lone wolf type anyways. His anger usually gets the best of him, and so now somebody messing around in his brain has only given him reason to feel a little worse off. And now he's teaming up with a dude who's known to manipulate people, who's known to, you know, use people to help himself in certain situations. And Hobbs kind of a loose cannon right now after the death of Slash. We don't know what he's going to do. He's breaking into Null HQ. And it seems like the way this issue ends, it makes you feel like, okay, he's, stealing a bunch of, you know, R&D so he can make a mutant army. He he wants to steal a bunch of this research, a bunch of this information and continue to grow the mutanimals from a small fighting force into a, a full-scale mutant army. So we'll see where that leads us, but I'm a little worried about my boy Raph. Y'all know he's my favorite, so um a little worried about him. 
But anyways, guys, on to issue 95, the heavy hitter, the big turning point, the exclamation point, if you will, at the midpoint of City at War, the exclamation point on a timeline of Ninja Turtle comics. If we looked at the history of Ninja Turtle comics, issue 95 is going to go down as, I don't know if I want to say important, because that's yet to be seen. I think only time will tell if something remains important, but it definitely is a big deal now. And depending on what happens in 100 and then what you know follows after 100 could continue to be a big deal. And it definitely, it definitely rocked the Ninja Turtle fan base. Let's, let's just, I'll, I'll stop trying to freestyle and let's just dig in and, and talk about why 95 was a big deal. As most of you know, like I said, this issue is where City at War really got wild. Again, issue 95 is a, excuse me, let me jump back here a second. Issue 95 is City at War Part 3. And again, it's written by Tom Waltz, art by Dave Wachter. As most of you know, this issue is where City at War really got wild. Really, really. This issue caused not just a stir in the TMNT world, but in the comics community in general. We'll definitely get to why that is, but the issue gets things going at Harold's lab, where Donnie is working with Lindsay, Libby, and Harold on a kind of crazy way to heal Jenica. Karai's group of the foot and the ever-watchful EPF made the task of getting Jenica to the hospital too difficult, so Donnie has resorted to drastic measures. They get started, and the book cuts over to Leo, Mikey, Angel, and Alapex, and Casey, talking about where Raph is and why he's helping Hob. Casey defends Raph's choice to help Hob, and we switch back over to the group helping Jenica. Lindsay and Libby are discussing the material being used to heal Jenica, and Lindsay basically breaks it down as a combo of the mutagen from Dimension X mixed with the ooze. This was a kind of crazy way for me to read this because I thought they were one and the same. I thought the green stuff from Dimension X that, you know, back in Secret History of the Foot that Krang was giving to Kitsune, I thought... I thought that was, like, they're calling it mutagen, I thought it was the ooze. But based on the way I read this, it sounds like they're two different things, that there's mutagen and ooze. Uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, let me know, give me the, uh, the official info. Um, I'm also planning to do some rereading of stuff and find where that was discussed, because I feel like I've been missing something this whole time. But anyways, as they begin to administer the quote miracle cure, as Donnie calls it, a security alarm goes off and Metalhead comes crashing in through the roof. Metalhead and the EPF come busting in and the team goes on the defensive, hoping to buy enough time for Jenica to get healed. Metalhead goes straight for Donnie and Harold as the rest of the team holds off the EPF. As Libby books out of the room to find a weapon, Metalhead fires his laser at her missing but destroys the IV drip that's administering the ooze cure to Jenica. Libby tells Donnie it wasn't enough and they're losing Jenica, so Donnie cranks things up a notch and then gets some help from Libby who's armed with a mech suit. Alien style, she just walks in there in her giant mech suit and lets Metalhead have a laser blast right to his chest. Pretty epic. So Leo and Casey are struggling with the EPF until Harold and Libby's unmanned security forces kick in to help them. Lasers pop up out of the ground and come to the aid of the good guys, which was pretty cool to see. Libby sends Metalhead flying through a wall and tells everyone to get in the van. The team, minus Harold and Libby, get in the van and gun it for Harold's portal, which he had just activated moments before. 
They book through the portal. After they get through, Libby destroys it to slow down Metalhead and the EPF. It helps the team, but doesn't help Harold and Libby, who are captured by Bishop and his goons. We then cut away from the action to find April, who's at work at Baxter's campaign office. She goes to talk to Baxter and sees that he's in a meeting with Madame Null and two of her mutant lackeys, whose names I don't remember. It's like a scorpion lady and a snake person. I would probably know their names if I read more of TMNT Universe and or the side stories, but I often don't. And I know that's very dumb of me because a lot of that stuff plays into the main ongoing. I guess it's just kind of a thing that I always figured I would catch up on. But um, yeah, don't know the scorpion lady's name, but I know she's from TMNT Universe. Don't know the snake person's name, but I'm assuming the same. But anyways, April is stunned and confused to their presence, but that was just a brief interjection as we catch back up with the turtles. Turns out in the rush to escape, Donnie told Harold to send them to the old lair. He says they can't stay long, though, because if he knows the place, then Metalhead will know it, too. Angel volunteers her dad's place, and Leo agrees that it's a good idea. He tells Mikey, Alopex, and Angel to head out and scout the location to make sure it's clear and safe. He sends Casey with them so he can rope in the purple dragons for some extra protection. Once they're gone, Donnie and Lindsay tell Leo that they intend what they intend to do for Jenica. Since they ran out of ooze, they're going to do a blood transfusion from Leo so that the ooze in his blood will work with the ooze already in Jenica to help her body finish healing. Leo asks about the potential results and they say that they're not sure what will happen, but they've got to try something. Leo agrees, complies, sticks out his arm, and they run a line from him to Jenica. We then get arguably, or maybe inarguably, the biggest moment in IDW's TMNT comics since Master Splinter beheaded Rokusaki. Jenica is mutated into a turtle. Alright guys. Like I said, big time stuff. Epic, crazy, wild, insanity. Three and a half crazy issues overall i really 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 liked this first chunk of city at war it it did a lot of building it did a lot of putting pieces in place you know we got a lot of action with a lot of setup which at the time had me excited for the next four issues because they the next four definitely deliver you know where where 93 through 95 felt like a lot of getting the pieces where they needed to be 95 through 99 or excuse me 96 through 99 feels like the fighting of those pieces or the destroying of those pieces or the removing of those pieces if we're going to stick with the chess analogy but these first four really laid out the stakes they let you know how intense the pressure would be for the turtles jenica's injury karai's ruthlessness splinter's anger his violent actions bishop and metalhead's relentlessness our four main heroes were just constantly stepping out of the frying pan and into the fire. Every time we think they were going to catch a break, the world came crashing down on them. Sometimes literally, like when Metalhead comes crashing through a roof. Um, there's a couple of odd team-ups we see early in the arc. You know, I'm referring to Raff and Hob linking up and then Baxter holding a meeting with Madame Null. Baxter and Null isn't, uh, to me, as odd as Raff and Hob, but I'm still curious and or worried 
what's going on there. Raph and Hobbs seems like a recipe for disaster, though. I know Raph's angry. No, he's tired of always being on the run and or the defensive. Uh, he's said as much in the past, but him joining up with Hobb definitely seems like a bad move. There was a slightly teasery moment in an order issue. They're fighting Mammoth. He's a member of the Pantheon. He's this big mammoth-looking guy, lives out in like the frozen tundra somewhere. And they fight him, they take him down, and as they're going back to the other Pantheon guy's house, Manmouth tells Raph that he can sense that he's like a loner, or he learns to be, he yearns to be alone, excuse me. Something to that effect. I don't remember the exact moment in the exact words, but that felt like kind of foreshadowing. And now we've got Raph splitting up from his brothers early on in the arc and teaming up with Hob. Like I mentioned before, he got his brain scrambled up by, you know, Bishop and the EPF. So it feels like this is leading towards bad news. And like I said, I hope when this is all said and done, we don't see something bad from Raph. Hope he doesn't split from his brothers. Hope he doesn't end up, you know, on the wrong side of things. Uh, Donnie and Metalhead's relationship slash rivalry continues to get more hostile. That was, you know, a big thing from these first few issues. Was A, Donnie trying to prevent, excuse me, Donnie trying to protect Jenica, but also him having to deal with Metalhead and Metalhead seeming to always be one step ahead of Donatello because they basically share a brain. And Donatello has nothing to keep from Metalhead, and Metalhead's got this constantly evolving AI, so he kind of is just a little bit, little bit quicker than Donnie, uh, who's also under a lot of pressure. And Metalhead's just like, I'm just out here teaming up with the bad guys so I can kill people, and so I can get smarter. The end. But yeah, Metalhead is out here really trying to get rid of the turtles. If he were out for Donnie and the Turtles by himself, it would be one thing, but Bishop having him on his side is a whole other level of jacked up. Bishop seems to catch all the breaks in terms of getting people over to his side uh, against their will or not, and I really, really cannot wait for him to get what is coming to him. I'm not sure I've ever disliked a Ninja Turtles villain more than I dislike this interpretation of Bishop. He's just an evil, xenophobic, close-minded, power-hungry jerk. Uh, and I would have some stronger words for him, but we keep things kid-friendly here on Booyaka Show, a TMNT podcast. But yeah, if there's one character I want to see meet their end during this arc, it's Bishop. Easily. Easily. And finally, guys, last but not least... Of course, we have to talk about Jenica and her transformation. This was obviously a big twist, the big reveal I was talking about. The turtle's world was turned upside down for a day or two when this happened. I remember the day this issue dropped, I was seeing a lot, a lot, a lot of buzz on Twitter. Like that morning and that afternoon. And I was trying to keep an eye on the buzz because you know I try to use it to like gauge like the hype on things but I was trying not to dig too deeply into the buzz because I didn't want to get spoiled on anything so when I went to the comic shop that afternoon I remember telling Aaron like hey man I'm going to buy two covers of this book because it seems to have a lot of hype around it and usually kind of pre 95 
I don't always buy, I mean, I guess this kind of goes for just my Turtles books in general. I don't always buy both covers, guys. I know some of you guys out there are hardcore. You've got both A and B for every issue. You've got the sub covers for every issue. You've got the retailer incentive covers for every issue. Props to you, man. If you can do that kind of collecting, I I respect you and I appreciate you. And I'm sure you got a ton of dope covers. Me, I'm usually just a cover A type of guy. And then if I like Kevin's cover, I grab cover B also. But more often than not, I just need the one book so I can read the story and get through it, right? But when I have a feeling that like something crazy is going to happen, I get more of them because obviously like it's a bigger deal, right? And I want to be able to like hold on to that piece of, you know, the turtle's history in its various forms. So like I've got a bunch of the 50 variants. I've got a couple of the 75, like so on and so forth. Anyways, so with 95, I grabbed cover A and cover B and then ended up grabbing a, grabbing a second print cover by Ben Bishop. But I told Aaron at Now or Never, I was like, hey man, I'm going to grab both covers today because based on the internet's reaction to this issue, it's going to be pretty hype. There's going to be a lot of noise around this. Aaron texts me the next day uh, and obviously I'd read the issues or excuse me, I read the issue saw Jenica's transformation, saw all the hoopla on the internet, saw all the buzz, saw all the hype, all the reaction, saw Tom Waltz and uh, Sophie Campbell and Bobby Curnow tweeting and posting and yada, 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 all that. And then the next day, Aaron texts me and he was like, hey man, looks like you made a good call on 95. I've already received three phone calls today and two people have come in in the store asking if I have any more copies. And Aaron texts me that at like, I don't know, 1230 shop had been open for an hour and a half. Yeah, guys, the, the speculation on that issue went crazy. I know a lot of the variants that happened for 95 ended up, you know, hitting pretty high prices, cover A and cover B. I think for the first like week or so after it dropped, they had got up to like $15, $20, even $25. And then some of the, again, some of the harder to find variants were getting up to like 100 But yeah, anyways, long story longer, guys. I'm not mad at this. I'm not mad at Jenica being a turtle. I know it's, we've, we've talked about this before, I've discussed it, kind of giving you my loose thoughts on it. But, you know, especially after the TMNT uh, Road to 100 panel, and having, you know, Jesse and my brother and Robert on, we talked about it a little bit. You know, I love how IDW and the creative team not only pulled this off, but they've been strongly standing behind it ever since. You guys may have heard the IDW panel episode. Tom and Bobby and Kevin are all the way in on Jenica being a turtle. I love how they mutated her with the blood transfusion. I love that she's a turtle. And even though we only see her a bit in this issue, she definitely begins to flourish in the coming issues. Again, we'll talk about that in the uh, part two recap. I could talk about her all day, uh, or I could talk about how big this is, you know, for the next 20, 30 minutes, but the internet's already done that. They've done it enough for the past four months, so I may save that for a future episode. You know, we might talk a little bit more about Jenica uh, with a guest or, you know, something like that, but we'll see. I will say this though, I kind of voiced this idea before 
I think, again, not too sure how much I did or didn't talk about this, but I do feel like my my one gripe, maybe my one little grievance with the kind of first part of City at War is that I feel like it took a little bit too long to get to the mutation. Uh, Jenica was stabbed in issue 93, and she was mutated in issue 95. Now that sounds like, okay, it happened over two issues, from 93 to 95. What do you mean it took too long? I say that because there was 93 where she gets stabbed, they throw her in a van, they rush off to the hospital. Then there's free comic book day where half the book is literally just her in a van riding to the hospital. And then 94, where part of the book is her in a van riding to Harold's. They arrive at Harold's. They do part of the thing. It doesn't work because Metalhead shoots the IV. They put her back in the van. They drive off to some other place. You know what I mean? And then in 95, we see her get mutated. So it just felt like a lot of these first, you know, three and a half issues were spent with the turtles in a van trying to get Jenica somewhere safe. And I know that downplays it a little bit because we saw the EPF a ton. We saw the Foot Clan a ton. Uh, the, the good, the quote unquote good Foot Clan with Splinter and then the bad one with Karai. Getting Jenica to safety and trying to help her was definitely the focus, but there was other things going on. I guess I just maybe felt like early on, you know, you're calling it city at war. And it was, the city was at war. There was crazy stuff happening. But I I think part of me was maybe, I don't know, part of me was maybe expecting more. I didn't didn't expect so much of the early stuff to be focused on Jenica. Again, that's, you know, this is hindsight now. Like when I was reading this stuff, I was captivated and enjoying it and going right along with it. But now that I've read, you know, 93 through 99, I'm kind of like, man, three and a half issues of this eight issue arc, the focus of was to make this one thing happen or to, to mainly make this one thing happen. But anyways, like I said, guys, small grievance. And like I said, maybe, maybe it just felt a little bit long to me too, because that free comic book day issue is in there and, you know, makes it feel a little bit longer because it's just her in the van again. I'm not sure. Either way, like I said, long story longer, I'm a fan of the idea. I'm a fan of the execution. And it definitely gets better from here. You guys come back, check out part two, and we will take City at War even further. And that is all I've got for you this time, guys. That is the end of the City at War part one recap. As always, guys, you can rate and review Booyaka Show on Apple Podcasts. Like I say every time, appreciate that I've got listeners. Appreciate that you guys tune in and subscribe and and keep coming back. And you know, when you take the time and energy to rate the show and review the show and hit that subscribe button and you know, give me some of your time and energy, I really appreciate that. It means the world. And like I've said before, too, rating and reviewing, you know, just helps helps the show make more noise. You guys make a little bit of noise for the show. The show makes more noise. And, you know, that helps me keep coming back and making more noise for y'all. So, subscribe to Booyaka Show, a TMNT podcast, any and everywhere. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, many more. Like I said, you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts. I think some of those other apps have, like, rating and reviews things. 
If you guys want to do it there, do it there too. I appreciate it. Thanks again to all of y'all listening, to the friends I've made, to the you know followers on Instagram that message me and talk about the show, on Twitter that message me and talk about the show. I appreciate y'all. As always, guys, I am your host, Zach Norris. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Booyaka Show, a TMNT podcast. Catch y'all next time. Now I'm